Welcome to MLR Kickoff, episode 60, with your hosts, Dan Power and Pete Steinberg. Hey folks, welcome back to the MLR Kickoff, and before I welcome in my co-host, Pete Steinberg, we both want to wish everyone, uh, you know, welcome back, but also that you're safe and, and healthy, and the families are safe and healthy, and you're getting through these unprecedented times with uh, the COVID-19 dramas, but... We will look to alleviate some of that by talking a little bit of Major League Rugby here as I welcome in Mr. Rugby himself, Pete Steinberg. Pete, how are you doing, bud? Are you holding up well through this? Yeah, uh, yeah, yep. holding, holding up well, although I'm a little concerned that you um, had the shout-out that you hoped everyone was healthy before you introduced me. I was sort of like, that's a, like, like, am I not included in that? But no, doing well, Dan. So we had, uh, um, we had a COVID baby. So uh, Elliot James Steinberg was born on March 12th. And so being at home for the last um, two and a half months has actually been great. In fact, I think probably for both of us, Dan, when was the last time you didn't jump on a plane in like two and a half months? Uh, geez, that's a great question, Pete. I, have no I mean, idea. I don't know. Like, I, think, I think probably um, probably when I was a grad student at Penn State. That'd be my guess. So that's, that's a, what five years ago for you. Ninety-six, ninety-seven. Oh, I, I won't tell you what were I was doing born? in ninety-six. How old were you in ninety-six? I was, uh, I was in high school. Let's see, I would have been thirteen, fourteen, maybe, depending on. I think, I think, I think Aaron was probably a, like, like a babe in arms at that point. But yeah, so that was probably the last time I've gone two and a half months without jumping on a plane. Uh, well. <laughs> I would give it all up, jump on a plane with you, buddy, and call it uh, some Major League Rugby, that's for sure. But Well, Dan, we, we, we did have a chance to call some Major League Rugby <laughs> with the um, MLR virtual, right? So that was a uh, um, that was a, 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 actually a great experience. I, I loved doing that and, and getting into esports. MLR was on the cutting edge of, of getting their players online playing games. It was a lot of fun getting to know the players and... Uh, um, you know, getting to spend time with you. So that was that was a blast. Yeah, it was good. Obviously, uh, the Austin Gilgronies and Bill the Drill McGee gets the win. Or the tie that led to a win. A little controversy did ever, there. Did he ever, um, did he ever have that matchup with uh, Alex Tucci? Tucci being the, the, the professional streamer in, in MLR, but feeling like he was underdone by getting Uruguay. I'm not sure if that matchup ever happened. You remember the end of Rocky Three, where Apollo trains Rocky in in in, uh, in return for a favor, and they they right. have to fight behind closed doors. So maybe yep. it happened. We just didn't see the <laughs> behind maybe closed doors. Maybe. Well, we're actually we've kicked things back off because uh, for the first time in Major League Rugby history, we are on the eve of the first MLR draft happening on June thirteenth. Pete. Firstly, give me your thoughts on the draft and what are you excited to see come June 13th? Well, I mean, I think this has been, it's been interesting ever since MLR has launched the draft. There's been um, a lot of excitement, but there's been some pretty um, strong criticism as well. I think uh, um, for me, I, I think generally the draft is a good thing. And the biggest thing that I think it does, Dan, is it creates a focus for all the teams on um, domestic, primarily American players. And this is a way of making sure that the teams, um, you know, look to the American 
um, marketplace in, in, in college where the, um, where the best players develop generally and um, spend some time focusing on who those players are, um, identifying them, and it's a way for those players to get into uh, professional rugby. I mean, I think generally it's a good thing. I can understand some of the criticisms around um, players' rights, but that's kind of how it works in an American sport. So, um, you know, I understand some of those things. But I think for those people that want MLR to um, create future eagles, and for the U.S. national team to improve and see MLR as a development arm of that, I think this is a generally a good thing. Absolutely. And we just came off the NFL draft, which was virtual for the first time in history. So a big part of the sporting landscape here in the U.S. is the draft. So inevitable that a professional sports league would eventually go down this path. And I think uh, the timing is right now to get it done. And exciting times too. You know, it's going to be two rounds, 24 picks. So... Uh, a lot to to look forward to with the the next couple of weeks as we build up to this. They've been doing a good job releasing profiles of these young college kids. And like you said, it, it brings a focus onto the college game that we haven't seen before because now that pathway, and we always hear that magical word, pathway, it's starting to be built. The, uh, the yellow brick road is being laid, so to speak, Pete. Yeah, and, and you know, Dan, as you two timed us with rugby wrap-up during our break, I thought that you had an interesting point um, on Matt McCarthy's show, which is uh, college players have moved around the country ever since there's been club rugby. And they've moved around for no payment and they've moved around for no contracts just to play at the highest level that they can. Major League Rugby is giving these players a chance to actually have a contract, to go somewhere, to have a chance to play and develop. Um, and, you know, I think everyone recognizes that they're probably not going to get paid very much, but they're still being paid and they still have a, you know, it creates a pathway for them for professional rugby. And I think we can see that there are definitely some teams that value the draft picks and value long-term development of their players by the fact that we've had a couple of trades. Yeah. And that's going to evolve, isn't it? Over the years, Pete, how teams view this and how they utilize the draft. So we saw, let's just talk a little bit about some of the trades because we saw Houston basically uh, channel their the inner Mike Ditka and give away their entire draft. Uh, for those not aware, Mike Ditka, coach of the Saints at the time, gave away his draft for Ricky Williams. Um, great player. Not sure it worked out for the Saints, but Houston, they get Robbie Povey, a Canadian player who's been playing a bit over in the UK, popped up for the Warriors and was under contract with the Warriors. So the Utah Warriors pick up the third and 15th picks in the draft and send Robbie Povey down to the Sabercats. So let's talk about this one first, Pete, from both perspectives. Let's talk Houston first. What are Houston thinking with this trade? And how do you rate this trade from a Houston perspective? Well, I think that it's, um, it's interesting. I think Povey's a good player. I think, I think he is a, a good addition to them. But I think it says a little bit more about maybe the strategy that Houston is doing. Because unlike maybe in the NFL, and at least in the first couple of rounds, right, where, where you pick up a player and they're pretty much able to step on the field immediately, drafting college players, especially in the skill positions, requires a system of development within the MLR teams themselves. In other words, Houston has made a strategic decision that says, you know what, 
we know that turning some of these college kids into, M into some of the best MLR players is going to take a lot of effort and a lot of work. And we have some limited resources. And we think that probably isn't the place that, 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 that we're going to put it right now, that we feel like that maybe um, in the short term, they might feel like that their squad is actually strong enough or that they might already feel like they've got developing players. Remember, Houston has a relationship with West Houston, um, the local, one of their local rugby clubs, and they might actually see that as being the avenue to bring players in and not through the draft, which would be an interesting decision. So there's definitely a strategy for Houston in here. Difficult to know exactly what it is, but they obviously feel like the college game isn't where they're going to get the future players for their team. So they're looking at more of a win-now scenario. So you look at some of the NFL teams who are aggressive in free agency. They've got some pieces of the puzzle there. They see a window of opportunity to win. They just need a few more pieces. So that would be the Houston philosophy coming into this. It, it could be, Dan, but it could also be that Houston feel like there's more talent that's actually currently playing around the country in club rugby where they don't have to go through the draft. I mean, that would be another, another approach. I know there's been a lot of discussion about sort of the size of the player pool in the U.S. and that through expansion, that's been diluted. But there are still definitely good players out there playing club rugby that are in, you know, especially in places like Northern California where they haven't been able to um, get those, uh, you know, there isn't a local team for them to play. So, you know, it could be that Houston's like, hey, we've got the team. We're going to put the money. Like, we feel like our team is strong now. Um, and, you know, they certainly showed that they had, um, a, you know, a lot of development under, um, under Healy last year. But it could also be that they just see a different avenue for getting those players that are going to develop. There's also the undrafted guys because with over 400 guys to sign up for the draft and only two rounds, that – there are good players that won't get drafted that could be signed by Houston as well. That's right, Aaron. And so I think that it's, it's, you know, so they might be, so, so one of the challenges, for instance, for any MLR team that's looking at this draft is the, is the lack of real quality video, right? The actually the lack of data that you can have. So there, there wasn't a combine. It's not like in, um, other major college sports where, you know, and even in minor league sports, whether it's lacrosse or whether it's soccer, you can go online and you can watch, you know, every uh, Penn State soccer game and you can actually analyze the players. So Houston and Aaron's right. Maybe Houston is saying we don't know enough about the draw, right, to be able to, um, to understand who the third best player is. But we do know that there's good players out there and maybe there'll be another way of doing that, which I think then might tell you a little bit about Utah and how Utah are thinking about this. Absolutely. And you take a known commodity in Robbie Povey as opposed to, like you said, maybe a roll of the dice long-term on a third pick overall. But Utah have a director of rugby named Brandon Sparks who is very, very plugged into the college pipeline. And that research that he's been doing as a college coach, I believe at the University of Michigan for a long time, now trickles over into the professional game. So there's that pipeline you talked about, Pete, and that understanding and that knowledge of the game that's very intimate to Utah, as opposed to perhaps at Houston. Yeah, I mean, I think that it was um, a really smart decision by Utah to get Brandon Sparks. Remember, he had helped 
the Seattle Seawolves um, as uh, um, an assistant coach um, for a bit during, I think, the, uh, during the first season. So he had some MLR experience. He's well, um, he's well known within the college ranks. And actually, you know, my understanding is that Utah, through Brandon, has actually already created a bit of a scouting network. There's already scouts out there um, in the college game that Utah is working with to identify. So it'll be interesting. I'm not sure that there's going to be a team that understands the college player pool as well as Utah, which explains why they're willing to trade a quality player like Povey in return for two draft picks. We'll try to get Sparksy on the show. How about that? That'd be a good little chat to have him on and get uh, a little bit more in depth with that side of things. If there's anyone who may be, uh, have a reputation in MLR as one of the, the masterminds, it could also be from this other side who was involved in the second trade, and that is Noel DeGold and Ryan Fitzgerald. You talked about California, Pete. We welcome our second California franchise in Los Angeles for 2021, and LA sent the second overall pick to NOLA in exchange for the 22nd pick. So NOLA will go two first-round picks now and uh, an undisclosed, the old undisclosed pick. That's always a good one. <laughs> that'll, that'll bubble up eventually. We'll figure that out. But uh, TBD for now. So LA bouncing out of the first round. Um, no, it's, it's not a surprise, Dan. I mean, no. I mean for, the, for the expansion teams... I mean, I mean, especially for LA, like Dallas, like we have to remember that Dallas was a founding member of MLR. They just haven't had a team. They've been around for a long time. But for LA, um, you know, especially with um, Adam Gilchrist and their Australian connection, they are not in a position, their focus is not going to be on college scouting, right? They've got, you know, they've got to get the stadium. They've, they've got to get tickets. They've, they've got to form the team together. They've got a bunch of stuff. It's very, very difficult. Um, for uh, for a team like that to understand what what's going on, so it's no surprise from LA. And you know, I think that um, a, a lot of us in MLR have a lot of uh, respect for what Nola's doing. Um, you know, with uh, with Ryan down there. You know, remember that um, Nola have their general manager and coach both on long term deals, which I think makes a difference, right? So if you're if you have a long-term deal as the general manager and coach, then you can make long-term bets. If you're working year to year, it becomes very, very difficult for a coach to make a decision about drafting when he knows that this coming year might be the, the year that he has to save his job. So I think Nola takes the long-term view. I think moving up to number two is interesting. I think partly because this, I, I, I'm, I'm not sure that this is going to be the deepest college draft. I think that, um, you know, the first five or six picks are going to be very, very good players. And then after that, I think it's going to be a little bit difficult. So I think it's smart for Nola to move up um, and uh, to get a spot because they're, they're in number 10, right? They're, they're in the 10th spot. But um, this gives them a chance to grab one of those sort of more um, certain MLR starters um, that come out of college. Yeah, this is the way. It's very rare that you look at trades in professional sports, and there's always seems to be a clear winner, and then someone who's kind of got the short end. But I think both parties really win here, Pete. For Nola, they've seen someone in that top pool of players that they can develop, and maybe, like you said, with long-term contracts, there's there's long-term prospects they can bring in and work with. 
For LA, I think they look at uh, Southern California as a pretty rich pool of players that they can tap into, even with San Diego just down the road. Maybe they've got some connections in Northern California where people are a bit more willing to move from, let's say, San Francisco, Sacramento, down to the Los Angeles area. And they need experience as a new franchise, and they're probably going to get that from overseas as well, not from taking the second pick in the draft. So they probably picked up some experience out of this trade and they'll go into the local player pool year one, would be my guess here. I think, I think you're right, Dan. I think, you know, the fact that there are trades and the fact that there's tangible value going the other way from the draft pick, right, tells you that some of this concern around the draft about it like not really being real about it being branded, you know, like, like a branding opportunity for the, the league or the ability to create something that they might be able to sell down the line, you know, doesn't ring true because teams themselves are obviously valuing the draft, right? And therefore um, they value those picks. And therefore when a player is, is signed or is, is chosen, there's going to be an incentive for the team to sign that player because that pick has value. And, and, and so I think there's, there's a concern that like, you know, particularly around player rights, that players are gonna be drafted and then like that's the only one that can draft them and, and you know, they don't have any leverage. Well, the player can actually choose not to sign, right? There's lots of other options. In fact, I think, you know, one of the biggest challenges for a lot of these college players that are gonna get drafted, particularly in the second round, is how do you become a major league rugby player when maybe you don't get, where you're not a starter? and you might get 10 minutes a week on the bench. And so I also think that the teams like Atlanta that have their 404 team, right? Teams that have a, um, a, some sort of an academy structure that allows the players to play in the fall, right? And help them develop and make that step from college are also gonna be value the, um, the draft more. So, so I think these trades are just showing that there's value in the draft, that there is leverage that players can have because of that value. And that it shows that, um, you know, there's enough here, I think, to justify MLR holding the draft. Oh, I agree, Pete. And, you know, I've, I've spoken to this point as well. I don't think this will be the last of the trades we see as well. I think post-draft we may see some trades, whether it be a week or two after or maybe a month or two after as negotiations go through. And we, we see it in the NFL, and that's the most established league in the United States, you know, Eli Manning didn't want to go to San Diego. They picked him and then there was a trade. They negotiated a deal because they had leverage because they had the player and they had the pick. And you know, maybe we'll see some of that as well. It just adds to the, the tapestry of the season and it adds to the excitement that surrounds the sport. And, and uh, there is a little you know, PR element to it, but no one does it better than the NFL, mate. They're on TV 12 months of the year for that exact reason. And the evolution of this draft is, is going to be Major League Rugby's way of staying relevant during quite periods of the year yeah and i, I think that's right so let, dan let's let's talk maybe a little bit about sort of um how the uh um you know about the college place so i think in in a couple of weeks we're actually going to talk about sort of uh which of the players are um you know we think are going to be drafted who are some of the studs but you know maybe we should talk a little bit about um you know what a player needs to do to be able to get into the draft exactly so eligibility for the draft, Pete. So at this point in time, very similar to the NFL, junior, 
This is the absolute minimum requirement. You can be a junior, a senior, or 21 years of age. You have to have played college rugby. For this upcoming draft, you had to have played the 2019-2020 abbreviated season. Teams have the player rights up to one year to reach a contractual agreement. And that will play into what we talked about before with the trades. So juniors who return to school may also enter the following draft if they do not reach a contractual agreement. So it's one season, right, from my understanding. So one major league rugby season. So we run February to June. So up to that next point, you would be able to re-enter the draft after your senior year if you're a junior and you don't want to go to, let's just say, the, the Milwaukee Mud Crabs, just so I don't offend any teams. You can re-enter the draft after sitting out for that year of failed negotiations. So that'll be another interesting to watch too, because we've never seen that before in the NFL, I don't believe, where a player has entered the draft, been drafted, didn't want to, and then come back in the next year. The structure is more similar to the baseball draft. That's um, right. Thanks, Aaron. Was that it? Or, or were yeah, you gonna that's, that's it. Similar to the baseball draft. So um, yeah, so so I think that it's it's, it's interesting, and, and I and it's where I I I feel that someone can come out, they can be um, drafted, and it's up to the team to draft them because the player could absolutely has the right not not to sign. It's not like the you know, and then they you know if they graduate, they can go off and do something else, go off and play club rugby. They could go to New Zealand and play club rugby down there and develop. There's lots of things that they could do before they can come back. So. I think it's interesting. One other um, eligibility issue, Dan, is that the Canadians aren't eligible. And even though Canadians aren't eligible, there were 30 Canadians that signed up to be part of the draft. And the reason why the Canadians aren't eligible is because, um, and it's the same reason why the arrows aren't in the, in the draft order, the arrows don't get picks, is because the arrows actually have probably a slightly different pathway position in Canada than Major League Rugby, where they're you know, they're, they're there working with Rugby Canada as a way of being able to be a pathway for the Canadian national team. So, so right now, the Canadians are not eligible for the draft and to be drafted. Yeah, and I'm sure that will change as well, Pete. I mean, we have the uh, Toronto Raptors in the NBA, and I'm sure as things evolve and change, and as they will, the Arrows or perhaps not giving too much away, but perhaps another Canadian franchise will be able to enter the draft as well. All right, hold it. What do you mean not giving much away? Meaning we all would like another Canadian franchise, probably in the West in a place like Vancouver, but no one has any idea if that's going to happen. Is that, is that what you're giving away? I am giving away nothing. I give away <laughs> nothing. Maybe. It'd be nice. History. The It'd be nice. History. Nice. So yeah, there's, there's obviously a lot to digest there. And year one, I think for everyone, ourselves included, Pete, there'll be a lot of unknowns going into the draft and we'll see the evolution of, I think, the value of a draft pick and how different teams approach the draft as well. But over time, I think it'll become a very valuable tool for recruitment because I think you've already touched on it. It'll force teams to look a lot harder at the college game and teams will be looking as as the the player pool and, and to steal your word dilutes the diamond in the rough will become more and more valuable and so yeah, that'll I mean, come down to recruitment and, and scouting it, it, well i mean i think the, the 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 challenge that 
um, that you always have when, when you're doing talent selection, right? And I experienced this as a national team coach is that um, it's actually really hard to find um, even playing fields to test players. So in other words, if I play for Life University and I'm a scrum half, um, except for probably two games a year, I'm going to look like the best scrum half in the world because my pack's always going forward and they're dominating and then we're winning by 80 points. And it doesn't mean that the scrum half on the other side of the, of the, of the pitch, right, playing for the other team that's losing by 80 points is, isn't as good as me or could even be better than me, but they're not getting any ball to show it. And I think one of the, one of the big challenges in, in, in player selection for MLR is how do you identify that, that great player that plays for a poor team. And, um, and, 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 that's, and that's the challenge. So I think I, I'm going to guess that early on, like in this draft, when we look, we'll be looking, there'll be a lot of size and speed and athleticism selections because those are much easier to identify on video, right? Or, or you know, so, so there's, you know, if, if there's a lock that's 6'8", right, which I think there is, right? If there's a lock that's 6'8", that's easy to select for. There just aren't many. In fact, I know because, you know, in conversations with overseas professional teams, they're always saying, hey, do you have any six for eight locks? Like, that's just really, really unusual. If there's someone that has, like, blinding speed, right? If there's a guy that's just a super athlete, you can see that on a video regardless of the quality of play. But what's more difficult to see is the skills, because the skills are much more de determined by the people that are around you. So I think that what we're going to see early on is, is we're going to see a lot of athleticism selections, players that are big, players that are fast, players that bring something athletically special, and that we'll probably see some of the skilled players dropping down into the second round. Yeah, I agree. And here's, here's something to think about moving forward too, Pete, is think about the draft next year that we'll have, you know, fingers crossed and we're all hopeful the timeline will be different as it will come after the uh, 2021 season. It should actually coincide with training camps in the NFL. What if you're a college player that doesn't get drafted and you're a crossover athlete potential? Do you just go like the Russell Wilson route where he got drafted in, into Major League Baseball? Do you say, you know what, I'm going to enter the draft, see what happens. Maybe I get my rights for a year and, and I've got this option to cross over to rugby now. And then teams are going to start looking at maybe a crossover player in the first round because, just like you said, that blinding speed and athleticism, and we can work with that. So I think that works as long as you've got, like, a development plan that gets them to play a lot of rugby. So I think that the, the challenge always is – I mean, I'm, like, my view is that it's probably sort of a three-month intensive effort, right, to get a, 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 uh, um, a crossover athlete ready to start playing but then they need to play, right? And, and you know, maybe there are some positions, you know, I, I, I remember talking with Luke Gross, right? So Luke was like 6'9", he was a college division one basketball player. And, um, you know, they said, right, you're gonna be a lock. And he, he describes his development. And I think within a year he played for the US as sort of like, they were like, right, we're just gonna have you do lineouts and scrums, don't worry about anything else. And then it was like, right, now we're going to have you do lineouts and scrums and this is defense. And it was, like, it was like very compartmentalized. I don't think you can do that in the modern game. That was 20 years ago. I don't think you can do that in the modern game. I think in the modern game, those players will get found out pretty quickly 
if someone can't do their role on attack and defense because the numbers, it's such a numbers game. Um, so you've got, it. I, I, think, I think you're right, Dan, but I think it's going to be those teams that can get those guys playing in the full, right, who can give them that intense development that will be able to do that. If a team doesn't do that, signing that player isn't useful. Yeah. But if they open up the draft to people who did not play college rugby in the 2019-2020 season or whatever it will be in the future, I just wonder how many athletes will enter. So yeah. Antonio Gates jumps to mind, right? Antonio Gates didn't play it down of college football. Right. You know, he played in high school, but then entered the draft and got drafted by the San Diego Chargers because they just saw the athleticism, the potential. I think... I don't know if anyone, if Aaron can help us out on this one. Did Gates go to the combine? I'm not. I know I'm going way back there, but the fact that you're saying- if we if we introduce a combine as well and open that invitation, does that just then bring in this influx of athletic talent as well that they can sort of assess? Right. Right. Well, you know, Dan, I have so you know I, I'm excited about the draft. I'm looking forward to our next show when we're doing. Um, a couple of uh, um, in a couple of weeks when we're going to go through the draft and talk about some of our favourite players. Um, but but before we sign off, Dan, I, I want to know: are you getting up early in the morning to watch some rugby league? Oh, I'm not talking about the the evil code on a rugby union podcast, Peter. <laughs> trying to get well, you in trouble for for Dan's um, for Dan's question. Antonio Gates is considered the best non-combine. NFL player ever. Okay, so he didn't go to the combine. That's interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I think I think like I, I think you're right, Dan. I think a combine would would open up opportunities for some of these guys um, to to make that to make that crossover. It'd be it'd, it'd be pretty interesting. And remember, there's now a lot of um, uh, college football players that did play rugby in high school. Yeah, right? and, and those guys are, are absolutely the ones that I think. That, that brings some of that 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 rugby knowledge, um, you know, that they had when they're in high school. So, like I think, like a you know, an Alex Tucci or something like that. Those are some of the players that we want to capture and bring back. Absolutely. Are we, and I will I will DVR the game tonight. So just to put that to bed. Broncos Eels three thirty in the morning. I got to watch something, Pete. It's, well, it's I mean, I mean, I mean. So 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 if we want to um, stay with the game that they play in heaven. Right there's um, there's the uh, there's the Super Rugby um, startup in New Zealand where they're having an internal Super Rugby and I think that's starting June. I think the first weekend of June. So so by the way, June's next week. Is that? I think it's the first weekend of June. So it might be this weekend or be next weekend. I think. Don't quote me on that, people. Don't get upset if you wake up at two in the morning and it's not on. And despite the fact that um, Australia joined the U.S. as one of one of the bankrupted unions, they are also looking to create a uh, um, a an internal Super Rugby team. With the I just saw that the Western yes. Force is doing yeah. that. The Force, yeah, the force are in. So the five five teams. So we're going to have the, the Reds, the Tars, the Rebels, the Brumbies, and the Force. So here's the here's the interesting thing, Dan is that um, it's only going to work if the states allow it to happen. So, for instance, um, each state is uh, opening up at different times and have closed borders. So what mm -hmm. they might need to do is fly everyone to New, all the teams in New South Wales and have them based in New South Wales and play all their games there because other states just aren't op opening up in time. 
They said that Western Australia is going to be probably the last state to open up. So, so that'll be an interesting, uh, um, an interesting challenge. But some, some rugby to be watched, which is great. I actually like this moving forward. And uh, hear me out. I, I, Super rugby is great. And I think it's been great. But I think Super rugby has actually killed the mystique of test rugby because they're all playing against each other so much now. There's almost become this friendship in between countries because of club rugby from the super rugby standpoint if you go back to provincial that when let's say new zealand plays south africa these guys haven't played each other you know half a dozen times throughout the year already there's so much unknown going into the test rugby and it just adds the excitement and i think people will buy tickets because now you don't have these south african stars and these australian i won't call them stars because they're terrible at the moment these uh above average Australian players coming to New Zealand a couple of times a year each, then it adds, you know, you'll buy a ticket, you'll go and watch Australia, New Zealand, New Zealand, right. South Africa, Australia, because you haven't seen them. And it's like, you'll get big crowds back to test rugby. I think it'll build the aura around test rugby again. But again, the mighty dollar usually rules in these situations and television contracts usually dictate as well. So we'll see Pete, interesting times for everyone, including us. That's right. Interesting times, but, um, Fingers crossed that by the time we get to the next Major League Rugby season and we see some of these college players suiting up for their Major League Rugby teams, that there's some sort of normality back, that the games are playing and that there are crowds there to cheer them on. That's, uh, that's the hope for next February. Yep, I'm with you on that one, Pete. We will try and get a couple of guests. Uh, we already mentioned Brandon Sparks. We'll try to get some more of the general managers on to talk a little bit of draft as we dive into some of the talent coming out in the 2020 MLR draft. And again, that will be on June 13th. It's a Saturday. So pencil that one into your calendars. Should be uh, a pretty uh, momentous day there to have the first ever draft. Who's going to be the first ever first pick? That's going to be the big one. Dallas currently holds that number one pick. So someone will be going to the Lone Star State as the number one pick overall in the first draft. Pete, great to talk to you, buddy. Great to be back online as well. Aaron Castro, thank you, my man. Good to see your face again, even though no one else can because we're an audio-only podcast. <laughs> well, Dan, thank you. Thanks, Aaron. And, and for everyone, please... Please remember that the, uh, um, uh, to subscribe to our podcast, whether it's on uh, Stitcher or Google Play or, or Spotify. Um, and also please leave a review. Leaving a review um, is the best way to share the podcast, share the gospel of Major League Rugby with others as they search. And congratulations on uh, baby boy Elliot. I can't believe it's been, because we've talked obviously quite a bit offline, but Elliot was born and the show has been on hiatus during that time. That feels like it was an eternity ago. <laughs> Apologies for not giving you the, the appropriate celebration and shout out at the start. And congratulations to your beautiful wife, Yvonne, and your daughter, Penelope, for becoming a big sister. Round of applause for Pete Steinberg and the whole Steinberg family. Well done, Pete. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate All it. All right. That wraps it up. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Uh, as we build up to the draft, Farron Castro, Pete Steinberg, I'm Dan Power. This has been the MLR Kickoff. <laughs>